Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Hello and welcome to Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Another very special guest today in Nick Murray, designer, developer, dentist, and co-founder hmm. of Bitewings Games. Uh, any anything that I'm missing there? No, that's yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd put designer first because I haven't designed a game in like three years. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, I I had all like the like the D's like lined up. I don't know what order. But <laughs> yeah, I'm kind that's of playing fair. kind of playing into like the the 3D imaging of of the bite wing. That's yeah, I mean, technically, Gussie Gorillas, that's my design, and that was published, like, it was just released, like, a couple months ago, <laughs> so it does make me look like an active designer, <laughs> but ever since we started working with, like, Reiner Kinesia and Ryan Courtney and some other designers, it's like, this is too much work to design your own games and publish a bunch of other people's, so, <laughs> and be a dentist and all that, so, yeah, it's Man. definitely taking the back seat, but, yeah, it's it's weird, that delay uh, between like making a game and then when it actually gets published it's just like feels like such a thing of the past and then you have to remind yourself like oh yeah this is brand new to most people so <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah I, I mean i guess without ever having like designed or gotten anything published like wouldn't even think about you know oh i i, yeah, I designed a game like three years ago <laughs> <laughs> it's old news yeah yeah it's kind of weird but no it's it's fun to see people you know play your own game and and enjoy it and stuff and yeah, honestly, it's it's interesting because the the deeper that we got into publishing, the more I was like, you know what? I, I think I have more fun uh playing other people's finished prototypes than like slogging through the uh you know the garbage uh versions of my own to try to find like the golden nugget deep within, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's like that's a trudge. I respect designers for uh, you know, it's it's really a grind taking a game from like a, a really exciting concept. And then watching it crash and burn into something that totally doesn't work, but then having the patience and the perseverance to turn it into something that does work. You know, that's that's why my published game is very simple because <laughs> <laughs> the start to finish wasn't nearly as bad as like a euro or, or something like that. So, oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, that's like a that's like a, an interesting way to put it too. But I mean, you've had I mean, you've had that experience. You have that game out there, and people are enjoying it. And and you do have that viewpoint from other sides as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I, I'll get into the structure of the interview more as we go on, but I'm not going to bore people right away. I'll, I'll wait to bore them. Um, this is going to be going to be like a trip to the dentist. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, boy. The, so the questions, I guess, are going to uh, fall in line with steps that would be a normal dental visit so if i get anything wrong which i know i will in terms of terminology or whatever just correct me i, I i'm knowingly wrong already so <laughs> <laughs> but but right away uh just kind of kind of some more intro uh stuff we are we're at like the receptionist um or like check-in and we're new new dentist uh for us so we're filling out some forms just getting to know you I guess. So for this, uh, what, like, kind of describe your process of getting into board games. Uh, it seemed like that happened when you're at college, like alongside your, your dentistry schooling. Yeah, yeah, it definitely ties back into dental school. Um, 
I, I grew up playing a ton of games, honestly, but it was mostly video games. Um, like Nintendo, that was that was like my my go to uh, hobby growing up. You know, Mario Kart, uh, Super Mario, Zelda, Smash Bros, the works. And uh, my my friends in high school, we we played a lot of Smash Bros. We played a lot of uh, we we had we had like uh, especially towards the end of high school. Uh, one friend would start this tradition of like Halloween and new Halo's <laughs> Eve and stuff like that. And it was a good time. Yeah. Just playing, playing games with the guys. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, like looking back on all of that time I spent playing games and like the dozens upon dozens of like, I own pretty much all the consoles, you know, especially the Nintendo ones and uh, looking back on all that. And it's like, what did I accomplish? <laughs> but like, you know, it was fun. I had a blast with it and I still I still love video games. I'm playing Super Mario Wonder right now and and all that. But um it's funny cuz then I I got into dental school and like that that just consumes your life. Like you're sitting in lecture hall especially those first two years for like seven eight hours and <laughs> ohio state is where i went for dental school and the uh the building was like 100 years old um they just barely finished a new one right after i graduated so that was you know <laughs> perfect <time. laughs> i'd rather be i'd rather be out of dental school than in that new building so I'm, I'm okay with that but uh yeah i mean so it was like 100 year old building hardly any windows and everybody has to wear gray scrubs and <laughs> When you're doing that like hard and all you think and dream and talk about is teeth, um, you start to question your life decisions. <laughs> like, man, I just wanted a good job. And like, and uh, here we are just, just like grinding it out every day. And it's funny because at that time, uh, the Nintendo Switch was announced and I just became obsessed with the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I was just so excited. And like seeing the new Zelda coming out and stuff, it was like the childhood dream, you know, it's like, oh, you can take your console on the go. This is crazy. And uh, yeah, so that was like one of my outlets during dental school. Right. And then eventually I was like, I'm going to go crazy. So I, I got I, I enjoy tennis, too. And so I got more heavily involved in tennis in the community there. But then eventually, I mean, you're you're kind of a poor grad student, right, at, at that stage in life. And there are tons of students going to Ohio State, either as college students, undergrad or, or professional students like me. And uh, all of us are poor. And but we like to hang out. And so board games was was uh, a hobby that we found was fun. And, and suddenly I became, you know, my obsession switched from like the Nintendo Switch to uh board games and i think this is a a similar story that many gamers follow of they start watching like dice tower reviews and then they stumble across like oh the top 100 board games and i only know like two of these what are <laughs> what are all these games and then you start looking at all these top 10 top 100 lists and and trying to you just have like this insatiable appetite right um and this is probably a much longer <laughs> much longer answer than you were looking for but um, you know, I, I started playing tons of games and then eventually, I don't know, I was just, I remember sitting at the kitchen table one day and I was like, you know, what would be a cool game. What if, what if like, uh, Bigfoots and Sasquatch and, you know, all these legendary creatures were going at it and trying to become the most legendary creature. And they do that by like either helping humans or, or kind of like tormenting them, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> like some mythical creatures do. And that suddenly led me to make this crazy 
like hybrid of king of tokyo yahtzee dice rolling and like a map that you're laying out tokens and and uh it wasn't a very good game in retrospect but i was so pumped about it you know that that process of creation is so exciting and uh i even like took it to a convention i took it to gen con eventually because you know you learn like oh you can pitch this to publishers and and this idea is just like the next monopoly the next ticket to ride and and so no doubt publisher is going to want to sign it and (laughs) and uh but then yeah you you like it it helps to just put yourself out there you know and and uh, put put your ideas in front of other people in front of publishers in front of uh play testers and and you learn a lot and uh, i felt like i Oh man, I feel like I aged like 30 board game years in the span of like three real human years. It's crazy how much I like soaked in like a sponge and just tried and and played and dove into and uh, eventually ended up with uh, what has now become Gussie Gorillas is one of my designs. It's like, oh, this one actually is still good <laughs> after like falling in love with it and then playtesting it. And it's like, oh, it's actually still a good time after you, you know, you take off the rose tinted glasses. Um and I had another party game too that we haven't published, but maybe it'll maybe it'll emerge someday. But I had a couple designs and a friend Kyle Spackman, who was also a year ahead of me in dental school at the time. Um, and he I kind of uh got him to play test one of my designs, and I think that got the ball rolling for him too. Next thing he knew he was designing some games too. And suddenly we're like, hey, we've got a couple decent games here. Let's see if we can try to publish them on Kickstarter. And, uh, but we knew, you know, that Kickstarter at that point, and even more so today is a very crowded field. Um, and you can't just show up with, with an idea and expect people to come running. You need an audience already built in, ready to support your game. So we didn't have anything like that. (laughs) And so what we did was we looked at, um, you know, very quickly we landed on Reiner Knizia because he was becoming one of my favorite designers at the time. And it was like, well, you know, he puts out a ton of games. He works with a ton of publishers. Let's just see if he has another small card game we could bundle with Gussie Gorillas and put out together. And uh, and so just kind of cold emailed him like, hey, we're two dentists. We're looking to start a publishing company. Um, we'd love to work with you if you if you want to, you know, if you have any card games that you want to show us and, and that we can try publishing through Kickstarter. You know, it was really just a way to like dip our toes in the water, just a, an easy project, small box card game. And <laughs> next thing we knew that turned into three small box card games from Reiner Canizia because he pitched a ton to us. And there were three that were like, these are pretty good. And they, they do kind of have like a similar criminal style theme. And then suddenly that was pushing back our own original intention of, of publishing Gussie Gorillas. <laughs> and uh, and then that went well and, and we kind of hit it off with him. And so I went back to him with the idea for, hey, Quo Vadis is really good, but nobody seems interested in it. Let's see if we can you know, bring this back to life. And then that went really well. Like even just the development and the idea process of, of like the feedback we gave him and the game that he in turn de- kind of developed and and evolved and brought back to us. And it was like, oh, this is a good collaboration here. We should keep this going. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just crazy. It's like, it, it started out as just like a side passion project and now it's a full-blown business and I, I spend more time uh, with bite wing games than I do with dentistry and and uh, not making more money doing bite wing <laughs> games at the moment. The margins are not as good as they might appear on the outside, but um, you know, the business is growing and it's, it's uh, gone really well. So yeah, kind of a crazy journey across only a few years, honestly. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of like one of the things that, you know, like I was thinking about when, you know, looking at, at Bytewing games and, and like the Kickstarter projects you had and it all came on like pretty quick. I mean, I, one of the things <laughs> I'll talk about uh, later is like, I know you put out a lot of, you know, like reviews and lists and, and like different types of uh, like media as well. Mm -hmm. And, and that's how like we maybe unknowingly like interacted with some comments. I, I always, not always on like a lot of them I'll comment and things like that but but yeah it's funny that it started off as just like a cold email like hey like you're one of our favorite designers you want to do some card games <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy because now it's like I'm I'm constantly nagging him like okay I need something for 2025 Reiner let's go <laughs> for launching you know and it's like yeah and and then we have plenty of stuff in between then and and now uh that we haven't even shown yet so um because he's way too productive you know it's it's funny when the more you learn about him the more you realize like oh this is like his this is his calling in life you know making board games and he's he has no intent on retiring he's just going to keep cranking them out until the day he just like falls over dead which which hopefully is not anytime soon because he is he's still you know putting out some amazing designs and and um really fun to work with really good guy really surprisingly you know very like he's very confident he's a very confident man confident in his designs and and in his uh his ability to make amazing games but very humble at the same time and um yeah it's cool to it's cool to interact with him he's been great so yeah that's that's really awesome and uh, i had i had like a follow-up but i forgot we'll we'll move <laughs> on and i'm sure honestly like some of the questions will we'll touch back on that uh later too all right very neat so thank thank you for that and mm -hmm. now in our uh dental visit trip oh okay so now we're going to get into like the process of what i was thinking and and this is going to be like a side tangent but i'll make it super quick all right so initially when i was thinking about like a lot of the questions uh like a while ago that i wanted to talk to you about i had this segment idea and it was dumb it was intentionally dumb but it was called like tooth or dare <laughs> and i'm like nice. i don't i don't know what a dare on an audio podcast could be <laughs> <laughs> so i was like well maybe these questions are just going to be like spicier but i'm like i don't even have spicy questions so i <laughs> i changed it all right so there's no tooth or dare i'm not gonna like make you uh prank call ryan courtney or anything <laughs> so you'd love that <laughs> just try to like mask who's calling them and yeah. <laughs> get them on but no so i changed it to the the dentist trip but it was also in my like weird nostalgic 1990s growing up as a kid going to the dentist as well so now i i don't know those memories just stick out to me more i think like a yeah. lot of kids have you know i mean you you probably know it have like that inherent fear I never really got it. I was just like, I actually liked going to the dentist when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. The place where I went was, it was dated. So it was in the nineties and, and I'd, I'd have to say it probably felt more like a building out of the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I was like, I was all for it getting to like read magazines and play games and stuff in the, in the waiter room. But yeah, it's a good time. 
now now we're in the waiting room all right okay so yeah we're we're exposed to different media maybe it's different now so instead of picking up magazines we're on reddit or the internet in some way but now we're <laughs> in like the mixed mixed mediums different different things but this question is about movies um, and dentistry so hmm. what movies come to mind where there is a major character and or scene that would be linked to dentist <laughs> uh, character or scene linked to dentists i mean the first one that comes to mind is uh is the classic rudolph the red-nosed reindeer right the um the, the elf i forget his name um who wants to be a dentist <laughs> he's like the misfit and and that's there's a whole song about that right and uh, he just wants to be a dentist and and everybody all the other elves make fun of him because that's <laughs> just such a lame uh, a lame aspiration when you could be making toys uh, with Santa you know <laughs> so yeah that one comes to mind that one I, I always get a kick out of that movie so oh, that's hilarious I honestly didn't even think it's been such a long time since I've seen that so yeah it's so old you go back and watch and you're like oh my gosh this it's like from 1920 or 1930 i think and uh the sound effects are like really obnoxious actually like when when uh rudolph's nose goes off and it's just like a, a loud like blaring horn of a sound and uh but it's still it's still actually you know like the, the songs and stuff are, are pretty amusing and and uh the yeti i have a uh there's a special place in my heart for that yeti <laughs> yeah most most definitely on that <laughs> abominable snowman so i did for some reason the one that came to my, my mind like first was and i i'm not even sure if i've seen this movie in full was horrible bosses okay i haven't yeah. seen this okay yeah i want to say i think it it's a character played by jennifer aniston that is a dentist <laughs> But then I did I did a little further research and a movie that I'd seen was uh, Inherent Vice, where Martin Short plays like a super crazy dentist. So I'm not okay. sure if you're familiar with that one. No. Okay, that's a Paul Thomas Anderson flick that's based on a oh pinch on novel. Mm -hmm. One of the oh only uh, pinch on novel that I've read. That's it's worth watching. Like the movie is different, but it, Martin Short's really good in it, so I, okay. I give it I give it a recommend. Uh, nice. And and Finding Nemo. That, oh yeah, that, of course. That, yeah, that part two. That is a good one. Um, yeah, the ones that that also come to mind for me are like the TV shows, like Seinfeld. Um, his dentist is, uh, what's the actor's name? Breaking Bad. Um, uh, the Cranston. Is he... Yeah, Brian Cranston is his dentist. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, his stuff is so funny. Yeah, he's super young. He's super young. So like, you go back and watch, and you're like, wait a second, that's Brian Cranston. Um, and then Parks and Rec with Jeremy Jam. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I, yeah. I think he's an orthodontist technically. Well, they call him like a dentist and an orthodontist at different times, but <laughs> yeah, usually they're like they're like evil, right? They're kind of sadistic. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely a lot of funny culture around dentistry yeah I, yeah so that's like one of the things i was thinking like i mean everybody's got a dentist hopefully yeah but i would say that like i don't know i i don't know any like dentist and if you think about i don't know you're 
say if you're in a town of like or a city of like fifty thousand people, how many like dentist office do you think would be would be there? I guess let's. Oh man, it really depends on the area. Like I know, I know where I live, kind of Arizona and Utah and such. Um, there are way too many dentists per person <laughs> per per capita, <laughs> and uh, you know, so uh, it really depends. But then if you go to like, I've lived in uh, New England, you know, like Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, and there's not enough dentists out there. But part of it is like people are so spread out that like the closest dentist to them might be like. an hour or two away. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it really depends. Yeah. I had to say overall, maybe the, the media perception is, is a funny one to, to look at. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on from movies and TV shows and, and dentist for a second. You talked about video games and like, I saw that you'd like elsewhere, you mentioned your interest in, in, uh, like Nintendo and like a lot of those kind of like party games, like smash and, and all mm -hmm. of those. Yeah. So I guess like a kind of follow-up question is either like retroactively looking at that time period or lately, are there any video games that you've uh, played that make you think about board game design in a particular way? Um, Going back to the the first game I ever designed, actually, um, the it, it was called Creatures of Legendaria, pretty epic title. <laughs> um, that was an interesting one because you'd like uh, Yahtzee roll dice, and uh, you could either like move around, or you could do a heroic deed, or you could do a villainous deed, or you could um, invoke the mob accidentally, and uh, you know, fun thematic stuff like that. Um, but I came up with this idea of like, oh, what if you, when you're moving around, you're like dropping tokens behind you on the hexes that you that you pass over. And then those hexes become like your own color. I mean, the, those tokens that you drop mm. become uh, essentially I got the idea from Splatoon, if you're familiar with that, where like the Inklings are going around. It's like a it's a it's a shooting game. But instead of just shooting each other directly, you're trying to like spray ink all across the map and you're trying to spray out more ink and cover more turf than the other team. And you can shoot each other and, and kind of like wipe out other people on the other team and they respawn and stuff like a shooter. But um, as you spray out your own ink, then you can like, this is a, this is classic Nintendo, right? They, um, they come up with a weird concept. I think I read a little bit about the development of this and uh, they just had this idea of like, what if you're just spraying like ink or paint around? And then as you spray it around, then it increases your ability to your, your mobility, right? Your ability to move around quickly. And so you can swim around in it. And uh, <laughs> so that was like, it, it was just like a random gameplay idea that I think somebody had and they were playing around with and they're like, this is a pretty good idea. And then that turned into like, oh, what if they were like kids, but also could become squids and they swim around the ink and they spray it around and it becomes like a turf war. And um so that that actually inspired my first design um, where like, OK, you're dropping tokens on the map. And then next time you take a move action, you can just like slide through all your own tokens as if it's, as if it's just one movement, you know, and it makes you way, way more mobile as the game progresses. Um, but then, uh, yeah, you obviously can't do that through other people's tokens. Right. Kind of like ink. So, I mean, that's one example. I think more recently, though, I think a lot about how 
just Nintendo's design philosophy has influenced my tastes in games. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I love Reiner Kinesia so much because they do share a very similar uh, core philosophy. And that is that it's all about the play. It's not about like the theme. It's not about the story. It's not about um, giving people like a movie like experience, like a lot you get from a lot of Xbox or modern PlayStation games and stuff. Right. It, for them, it's just about the play. And they start with an interesting idea of like, oh, this is something new and, and unique, like Spring Inc. Or um, with Zelda, maybe and more recently tears of the kingdom. What if you just like combine a stick with a mushroom and turn that into a, uh, you know, a weapon and you can combine anything. Oh, and you can build, you can put trees together and attach wheels to them. And suddenly you have a car that you can drive around and, and just like these simple concepts. And then they flesh them out, you know, but they always keep at the core of it. Like this needs to be approachable, right? This needs to be very easy for anyone to get into and intuitive. And um, that's how Super Mario started out, right? Like people had no concept of a platformer. And so uh, Shigeru Miyamoto came up with, okay, what if level one of Mario, you have no concept of jumping over things. And um, so you're walking along and you run into the Goomba and you die. And now you know like, oh, I shouldn't, I should avoid that Goomba. (laughs) And then it forces you to jump over it. And then that Goomba appears right when there's a block above you. And so when it forces you to jump over it, uh, you automatically hit the block and then suddenly the block gives you a coin. And it's like these little tricks that like, there's no tutorial. It just, these subtle little things tell you like, yes, this is how you should play the game and they ease you into it. And Reiner Kinesia as a designer is uh, very similar in how the, the rules are so simple, but then the emergent interaction and the strategies unfold before you like an onion and um, to me, that's that's my favorite style of gameplay. I've played a lot and enjoyed a lot of very, very heavy, complex games that have humongous rule books and, and like 45 minute teaches and stuff. But um, to me, the most satisfying games are the ones that that get you straight to the fun as quickly as possible and then reveal more than what they show on the surface. And so the, those Nintendo and Kinesia and, you know, it's not just him and it's not just Nintendo, but those two stand out as like very much... Um, pillars in the industry of that philosophy yeah and and another thing that kind of stuck out to me when you're talking about the you know the games that you like gravitated towards in in high school whether it was like smash or some of the more like uh like party style ones or even you know like your halloween uh and land party types of things too with that like i think you know i mean i still play video games and i still i would say you know the majority of things games that i play are by myself whether it's board games or or video games for that matter board games like maybe maybe 50 50 yeah but i think there's like this element of of you know interaction obviously in in a game like halo if you're playing with your friends you're all like butting up against each other smashes in your face a hundred percent of the time yeah and and I think like one of the things that I was just thinking about was, you know, a lot of gaming like systems or the way things are designed have kind of moved away from that. And mm. maybe Nintendo hasn't fully like in, in some of the games that they're still like putting out. I really haven't played uh, much of their like recent output, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I think there is something to be said about like you know, any activity, whether it's a board game or a video game, like bringing people together to do things. 
Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point. I think there are a lot of people who kind of uh, miss the good old days of like split screen gaming where you're all sitting on the same couch together and going at it and having that interaction because with the rise of the internet, it's made it much more convenient to, uh, to play against people online and uh, you can still get some of that, you know, if, if you get go online with your friends and you all join the same lobby and you're, and you're kind of bantering with each other and stuff, but, but um, often it, it still feels very solitary, even a lot of online games. Um, and, you know, I think, that, yeah, obviously the internet is, is mostly the reason for that end of it and the popularity of online gaming uh, for, for board games. It, it seems more like uh there has been definitely a, a strong trend towards uh, less interactive or less in your face or less spicy, less mean games over time. And um, I don't think, I don't think um, there is necessarily, well, I don't know. You, you look at some designers that have been around for decades and they're still putting out very interactive games. Right. And then you get new designers who, who are inspired by, by that philosophy, you know, kind of the old school German style game. And uh, still, still contributing to that side, but I think um, you look at you know you just interviewed uh, Jamie Stegmeier, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you can see how successful Stonemeyer Games has, have been. And he, you know, you listen to his podcast and you listen to, or his YouTube videos more so, and his blog. And he he's very much a proponent of like positive player interaction, and you know, and talking about hey, it's okay if if we are playing a game together, but we're not necessarily interacting within the game, it's just nice to be in the same room and, and, and working on a puzzle together. Right. And um, for a lot of gamers that may not scratch the itch they're looking for, because I think gaming is very different to, to everyone, right? Some people, they want to do a puzzle and they want to do it with friends. Um, other people, they want to, they want to get in each other's faces and backstab each other. And, and then there's that whole spectrum in between. Um but I think I do think the growing trend of of uh, more or less interactive games and having more of those year after year becoming very popular, I think they're more approachable in general. Um, like a mean game will only satisfy folks who enjoy mean games, right? Whereas a nice game or maybe a gentle a gentler game can still appeal to people who enjoy mean games, right? Um, I don't need every game to be super interactive or mean. And if it's really clever or it's engaging or it's challenging um, or it's tense in different ways, then I'm still going to enjoy it. And that's where you see like, oh, sales are much stronger generally for games that are less mean. And I think a lot of publishers see that and they, they have, some of them have started to shy away from um, those more interactive and cutthroat games. But for us, honestly, like that, that's probably maybe one nice thing about uh, publishing not being my day job <laughs> is that I'm not trying to put food on the table or pay the bills or anything based off of how well Bitewing Games does. And so I'm not feeling that pressure of like, oh, we need to make a game that appeals to as many people as possible so that it sells as much as possible. On our end, we, we more so, th this is more like, a trade-off or I'm sacrificing my free time essentially to make board games. And it's, it's finally starting to pay back a little bit. So it's like, okay, this is actually a, a decent financial investment or it's starting to become one. Um, but even then it's like, do I want to spend my evenings until like sometimes midnight or even like 2 AM earlier this week? It, yeah. Things get <laughs> a little crazy busy sometimes just trying to keep up with all the tasks. 
but do I want to spend my time working on a game that I think is just going to be, you know, appealing to everybody and hopefully make a lot of money? Or do I want to spend all that free time on a game that I'm really passionate about and that really fits my tastes and hopefully other people's tastes? And it's something that I feel like, you know, I think this is one of the best games in the genre. And I'm so excited to share this with people. That's what gets me to stay up till midnight or 2 a.m., you know, instead of watching Netflix or playing Zelda or just like not doing anything like I often want to do or taking a nap even. Um, that's what keeps me pushing past my my, I don't know, initial or immediate desires to uh, sacrifice those things and um, and put out these games that I'm really excited about. And I think that's, that's one benefit we have is like, we, we can put out a style of game that a certain segment of gamers can be really excited for and really, really love instead of us just worried about being worried about like, okay, how do we just appeal, make this as vanilla as possible. So we don't, you know, scare off anybody. Right. So uh, that's kind of what we're trying to do. And that's, that's what keeps me going, honestly. And that appetite, unfortunately, Reiner Kinesi is very good at, uh, you know, catering to that appetite of mine. And that's why we find ourselves putting out way more games than we were expecting, maybe even just a year or two ago. <laughs> ah, that's, that's great. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, you said it, you know, if, if it wasn't something that like got you that wrapped up that passionate, I mean, there really wouldn't be, I mean, it wouldn't be the same thing. Like you wouldn't be what you're doing right now. And, and sure, it's not going to be like everybody's thing, but I think at this point in time, if you want a game to be for you, there's one out there. So absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Anybody who says they don't like board games just has, they haven't found the right one for them because there's definitely one for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, yeah. Obviously, I think board games are great, and you know, the more, you know, you'll see things on the internet like, oh, you'll make more friends out of like fellow board gamers than you will have success in turning your friends into them or whatever like sentiments like that but it's like you know i don't know i <laughs> like i said i'm i'm content playing games uh by myself i like playing games with my wife if i get some friends over uh they they know i like games so i'm not gonna like trick them it's not gonna be <laughs> like hey you're gonna come over to yeah. do this i'll like no like we want to come over and play some games and if they do great if they don't well <laughs> That's fine too. <laughs> yeah. I feel like early when you're, when you're becoming a hobbyist gamer, you make that mistake more often of trying to force it on people. And, but as the years go on and, and you, you make those bungles, you start to realize like, okay, there's a time and a place for, for this. And like, there's a type of game for every person. And yeah, don't try to force somebody to be a game, a type of gamer that they're not. And um, yeah, let it happen naturally, right? Um, sometimes just playing a, a 15 minute filler game is all somebody wants out of board games in general. And <laughs> and you have to be okay with that. And there are a lot of great 15 minute filler games out yeah. there. And, and and so that can be a satisfying interaction with folks in the, in the realm of gaming. Yeah, no, I, I had like a really kind of like funny like experience with that. So my parents, like my family, uh, they live pretty close by. And I just had some things that I needed to drop off for them that I like picked up for them. And I was like, hey, like, you know, I got some time. Do you want to play like a card game? And they said, yeah, sure. But, you know, when I got there, they'd been they'd been watching my nieces and you could tell they're pretty exhausted. So I had like a couple of <laughs> card games I like shuffled through and and we played uh, we played like a round through of Enemy an Enemy, which is a. Uh, like a whole trick taker game okay and yeah. it's cool it's uh it's it's a must not follow so i mean 
my parents are both familiar with with trick taking and sheep's head i mean that's who i played like a lot of games with like growing up so i was like you know the catch here is if i play red you can't play red dad plays mm -hmm. green can't play green and then like like here's some other things like they'll come out and then they're done they like that they're like hey like thanks for like not throwing something super crazy at us like we had a really <laughs> good time <laughs> that's awesome so but yeah that was fun we are we're in we're not in the waiting room anymore no more waiting around we've got the hygienist uh doing our cleaning right that's the next step sit down that's right all right get all like geared up <laughs> <laughs> so honestly i'm not sure how much the questions like really change for for the steps but we'll go with it anyway <laughs> so i guess uh i mentioned it a little bit before but to you uh in, in what ways has being in like development and and design and, and having your company uh affected the way you've approached like your reviews any sort of like ant anticipation uh lists rankings or anything that you still like put out from a like a media standpoint in what ways has the the publishing influenced basically the content that i put out yeah sure yeah um i feel like i've gotten nicer and and more humble and more uh aware over time you know i think when you when you first start criticizing anything or or like as as a blog or a medium any any kind of medium right um you don't think of, as much about the creators behind the creation that you're criticizing and so <laughs> you play one game and you're like this is hot garbage you know and <laughs> and just really light it on fire when it when it doesn't uh meet your expectations or or even when it's um provides you with a miserable experience right um but the, the longer i'm in this industry the more i'm meeting these people it's not a huge industry right and uh and uh then you you know doing it myself as a publisher as a designer um as a project leader uh you can you see how much work and effort and heart goes into uh, a lot of these games and uh you you start to appreciate that more i think and um for me, I still, you know, I started a blog and a podcast like long before we were first publishing games and people appreciated what I put out because I tried to be very candid and and uh, not just um, not just say, you know, oh, this is a nice game or, or just hype up a game, but but really try to honestly look at like, OK, maybe this game didn't click for me, but why is that? Why? Why isn't this game working for my tastes? And that's OK. It's OK that that I don't like you know, everybody else's games is okay that not everybody likes all of my games um, because really you shouldn't be making a game to try to please everybody. You should be, you should have a specific audience in mind and try to cater to them and uh, do your best to do that. So I think over time, I still try to be very honest, but I also try to be fair as fair as possible. And um, when I, when I play a game that I really don't like, I try to think about like, okay, I know there are people enjoying this game. Why do they enjoy it? And what's what makes this game unique and cool and stand out? But at the same time, okay, why didn't it click for me? Uh, and to really explore that. And I think that process of, of encountering new games and then exploring my feelings about them and my experience and then putting that to words in, in as fair of a uh, commentary as possible um, 
I think that not only helps people to see like, and hopefully, I, I mean, maybe there are some designers out there that that do not like me <laughs> for what things I've said in the past. Um, but I, I feel like I'm trying to to uh, be better and be as fair as possible. But at the same time, I feel like that process of looking at a game and and interacting with it and then coming away from it and evaluating it has made me a much better publisher, a much better developer, a much better uh, project, I guess, finder, <laughs> you know, because it's as a publisher, you have people constantly pitching things to you, or you may be excited. Like if I reach out to a certain designer that I really love and they respond and they're like, Hey, check out this design. And I'm immediately like, Hey, I'm going to work with this designer. I've always been a fan of, but, um, I need to separate my feelings about the theme or the designer or whatever from the game itself and just judge the game on its own merits. And um, I feel like that process really helps for me to, to find games, like to explore my feelings about games and really find ones that, that work for, for our project pipeline and that kind of thing. And uh, I would encourage other, you know, creators to do the same thing, even if you aren't, don't have a public blog, uh, even just keeping a private journal about uh, games that you play and what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Over time, you'll start to to see it more more easily, more quickly, more clearly, and um, recognize when things are special and when they're when you should pursue them and when they're not working and and how you can fix them. Oh, that's awesome! And yeah, a lot to unpack there. And I think you know, I know that one of the things. Uh, that you did was like with with a lot of your like first impressions uh like like longer kind of form posts and and all that was changed like your like ranking system yeah and, and everything like that and i've kind of i i, I don't want to say i've struggled uh like rating games i feel weird doing it like i feel <laughs> i feel like i'm bad <laughs> at, like <laughs> at like putting a score to a game so honestly mm -hmm. Like even like I'm just bad at following through with it. So even at this point, I think one of the things I want to do is I want to provide, you know, scores and like good scores for games that I like, especially if it's a, you know, maybe a game that's not getting like a ton of attention and just like, you know, helping the overall rating and things like that. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things where like one person does it and the more people that do it helps that algorithm and, and gets like visibility or whatever. Yeah, and it helps it helps the game find the audience that's a good fit for it, right? When when people share why they like a game, not just like throw out a 10 and be like this is this is great or or one <laughs> and be like this is terrible, you know, like give us give us more nuanced uh feelings than that. I think that really helps people to know whether a game is a good fit for them and that helps the hobby in general because now I know okay, this person didn't like this game for these reasons and it seems like they have very similar tastes to me. So I should probably avoid that game. And then, you know, the the opposite is true for games that somebody likes and you know you have similar tastes to them. It helps the hobby grow in general instead of uh, putting people off and making them think like, well, maybe board games isn't for me. You know, I, I think criticism, even even from creators, is is good for the hobby in general. But as long as we, you know, especially focus on separating the creator from the creation, right? Um, and, you know, I, I try to be more conscious of that as well with with things that I share of like, I, I do praise creators for, for things that they do well, 
But when I don't like a game, I try to separate the creator from the creation and talk about, okay, here's what I didn't like about the game, but that has, that shouldn't have any reflection on the creator themselves. And maybe oftentimes like 99 out of a hundred times, it's not an objectively bad game. It's just not a game for me. And (laughs) um, there's no, there's nothing wrong with me sharing, Hey, this doesn't fit my taste. Here's why. And, and then just moving on. Right. Uh, Because that helps other people see like, Oh, you have opposite taste for me. This is a good game for me, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, so. And a hundred percent that. I mean, in general, I mean, I'm probably not going to go out and buy something that I don't think I'm going to like. I mean, that seems yeah. kind of counterintuitive, but you know, at the same token, like I, I have no uh, reservations, like buying a game to either give it, give it away, sell it, do whatever with it. Like that's fine. It's kind of treat it more like a rental system almost. And yeah. If it's, if, even if, sometimes I might even like the game, but I'm like, man, I'm never going to play this with <laughs> like anybody, you know, yeah. I mean, I could, I could mess around with it like a few more times on my own and might do that mm-hmm. or, or just kind of like be done with it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely like rate like a teacher. So I, I have like the, like the fail system and I don't fail anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. So there's like so many things I'm like, I don't know, is this like like a 90%? Is it like an A minus? But that's again, long, long story short, I don't really <laughs> do those ratings. And I don't know. I just I honestly like no one's gonna go on my my BGG and like critique my rating. <laughs> but I'm right. I don't know. It's yeah, it's like, funny. It's funny how I mean you're not the only one. I feel like a lot of us who who rate games or whatever, we take it very seriously, right? Our rankings and, and like what are other people rating it? What's the rating on board game geek, right? And uh it's it I don't know, maybe it's our monkey brains just driving us <laughs> to like something that we can somewhat wrap our head around, like, oh, an eight out of ten. I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, <or> like, <laughs> yep. but then but then you see people being like, Oh, it's a seven out of ten, that's not even worth my time, you know. And and in my mind, like, oh, seven out of ten is a good game, you know, but um, it's a good game for for its target audience. It's maybe not a good game for everybody, right? Whereas a 10 out of 10, maybe it's like, oh, this this maybe is should be a bucket list game for you, even if it's not right up your wheelhouse. So yeah, it's interesting how that that influences us in a lot of ways. Yeah, most definitely. A lot of a lot of weirdness in there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure like how much I'll I'm not sure how much like an initial rating of a game will throw me just just be figuring out my my number. But that's why I don't do it much. Uh, <laughs> OK, there was an AMA you did a bit back. Honestly, I don't know which game uh, project this was for. But one of the questions somebody asked about what a good tool to kind of get that like bottom around that bottom retainer and you suggested a water pick. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. So because of that, I got a water pit. <laughs> oh nice. I actually just got one. Uh I started using it last week too. We've we've been recommending it to patients for a while and I've I've just been regular flossing, but I finally I got like this weird chunk of food stuck in my gums for like two weeks and it made them <laughs> swell up and I was like, This is horrendous. And I, I didn't realize there was something that was stuck in there until my the dentist that I work with I was like all right you, you got to check this out for me this is driving me crazy and he he dug out this little tiny piece of, of I don't know what it was maybe like an, a nut or something, like an almond <laughs> and uh he's like yeah that would come out easy with a water pick and I was like gosh dang it all right I'll get one but um they're, they're kind of fun have you started using yours then oh yeah I I mean I think probably I don't know when when you said it but I 
no joke. It was within like a matter of a couple weeks where I'm like, you know, I really hate this thing. Like I want to clean it better. <laughs> so I got it right away. Big, Yeah. big, big fan of the water pick, but Yeah. this question is going to be kind of water pick related um, in that, in that, you know, like if you're giving out general, like dental hygiene advice, you know, brushing and flossing, well, for sure. Right. And I'm sure there's other basic things that you could throw out there, but I feel like Okay. the Mm water pick to me has been a game changer. -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and in all aspects uh, of life. So now we're like polishing. And then cleaning, all right. Uh, we get better or more polished the more we do something. So, what I guess is your your potentially weird uh, piece of advice, or or the water pick type of advice that you would tell to an aspiring developer, designer, company founder? Like you've given a lot of like solid advice, and I think some of the things that you said earlier about. how just putting yourself out there and going to the conventions was like a great thing for you, uh, playing, playing a lot and critiquing and figuring out your own taste and, and trying to like put out things that you like all very, very sound and solid advice, but what's like a weird piece of advice. What's, what's the water pick. Mm, the water pick advice. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about what's, what's worked for us. I mean, that's really what I can contribute, right? Is like, what have I tried and what's really worked? And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for everybody. Right. I think, I think the, the biggest thing you can do as a creator of any form is, is lean into what you are passionate about and what you're good at and figure out uh figure out ways that you can harness those those tools those talents and those interests and contribute to the industry and and bring about uh success both for yourself but but also like i guess useful or I, I just ways you can contribute to other people in meaningful ways. Right. Uh, for me, that was, I, I enjoyed writing my whole life for whatever reason I've enjoyed like creative writing. Right. And, uh, I used to, I used to be pretty passionate about writing Yelp reviews of, uh, restaurants that I was passionate about. Right. I think that maybe led to board games and such, but, <laughs> and, uh, I, I like dabbled a little bit in that and like reviewing movies a little bit, not like full blown reviews, but you know, just like a comment that, that I took time to think about and, and like share my feelings on. And, uh, so when we were starting a company with Bitewing games, it was like, okay, how do we build an audience? And it was just natural for me as somebody who enjoys writing to start a blog and, to start talking about the games I'm playing. Cause I was also playing a lot of games. So it's like, Hey, if I'm playing all these games, even if I don't like them, at least I can like get some use out of them as far as like uh, evaluating my feelings on them and sharing it with other people and, and starting a discourse and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, leaning into your strengths, but also into your interests. Right. And for me, that's like um, simple games with a lot of depth. And that's why we worked with Ryan Courtney, who also, um, you know, especially with trailblazers, um, he, his games have so much thinkiness and depth to them, but with trailblazers, it's like, all you do is draft two cards and then arrange them however you want. You're just building out trails 
And then you start playing and you're like, oh, geez, this is <laughs> such a brain burner. <laughs> and with Reiner Knizia, it's, it's always like, oh, just take one or two actions. And uh, you only have these two options or three options. And um, and then you start playing and you're like, oh, boy, these are tough decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then, you know, being passionate about their games. And I think I think trying to harness your strengths and your interests, but also don't be afraid to try new things. I think that's, that's the other key component here, because if I had thought like, Oh, Reiner Kinesi is not going to work with me. He's like the Willy Wonka of board games. Why would he want to work with a dentist who has never published a game in his life, you know, and just had, had that doubt or like, it's not worth sending an email to him. Nothing's going to come back. Um, same thing with like Ryan Courtney. The only reason we put out Trailblazers, like the, that whole thing started because Ryan just tweeted out randomly. Uh, he's pretty active on Twitter um, that he was working on a hiking game. And uh, I had liked his previous two games that I'd played. And I was like, I like hiking. And so I just randomly reached out to him and was like, hey, do, do you have a publisher attached? At that point, he had only published stuff through Capstone. So I didn't feel like it was it was very... Uh, uh, there's a very good chance that it wasn't already tied to capstone or somebody else, you know, but I just reached out to him out of the blue and was like, Hey, uh, is this tied to a publisher yet? I'm interested. And, uh, suddenly, you know, we were putting out trailblazers with him. Um, and I've, I've, I've done a lot more cold emails <laughs> to other creators <laughs> and, uh, people like Quanchai Moria who did Zuvatis and Ian O'Toole who did Cascadero and Cascadito. And, um, you know, these, these big names is just a little small fry dentist. And, um, just, uh, it, it reminds me of a, uh, something that my, my buddy from high school said once, and he was talking about dating <laughs> and specifically, he's like, um, it's better to say, I can't believe I tried that than to say, I wish I would have tried, you know? Um, and, and just, I think he was talking about referring to like asking out girls on a date, right? He's like, seems way out of your league. Right. And just trying crazy things like that. And, but he's totally right. You know, like there, there are many attempts I've tried as, as our company has grown, like reaching out to creators or being like, Hey, let's work together or we'd love to work with you. Or I like what you're doing and, you know, gotten rejected outright or just no response at all. Right. And that's okay. Like I'm, I, I live to see another day. Rejection is, is okay. But, um, you know, the same thing happened with all play actually boardgametables.com. Um, I, you know, Kyle and I are both full-time dentists and, uh, we live in different States and have our own families and kids and stuff. And, uh, you know, super busy. And, and then I have this huge appetite where I brought on like so many more games and, and I started realizing like, Oh my gosh, this is kind of a logistical nightmare. Uh, to handle all on our own and it's hard working with third-party companies and i saw what all play was doing as like an e-commerce company putting out their own games and just a well-oiled machine i backed multiple of their kickstarters up to that point and was like man it would be so cool if all play was handling you know like if we could partner up with them and out of the blue i just emailed all play and uh because i think i think joe wiggins who's who's the coo there um really cool guy and he uh he had commented on one of my posts where I had featured some all play games and he's like, hey, thanks for sharing that. That was cool. And then like the next week, the thought came to me, I should just reach out to all play and see if like 
probably not. They're not working with anybody else. Why would they want to work with us or like, you know, handle our games, uh, you know, with fulfillment and stuff. But I just out of the blue, we reached out to them and they were like, actually, yeah, let's partner up. <laughs> they kind of like the games that we were making and they were, they were in a place. It was, it was coincidental timing. I think it was a blessing, uh, honestly for us. Um, coincidental timing that they they had the they had brought on some new people and they had the capacity to to work with another company and now they're bringing on more companies not just us we were like the guinea pig and uh and that was all just because i cold emailed you know i'll play and was like hey you, i like what you guys are doing like and uh what you guys are really good at is what we don't have time for <laughs> and uh i feel like you know, we're, we're good at making games, but we're not good at the logistics and the fulfillment and stuff. And we're relying on third parties to do it. And it's not always a perfect uh, relationship with all these different companies that you're trying to juggle. And, and uh, yeah, so that started at the beginning of this year and it's been amazing for us. It's been like the perfect fit for our needs as a company. And it all goes back to like, don't be afraid to just try stuff. Don't be afraid to be rejected and don't be afraid to pursue things that, that you're passionate about and that you're good at. And um that's that's what's led me to and Bitewing Games and and where we're at to to here we are you know publishing a game by Eno Tool and Reiner Knizia like I, I never would imagined I'd be putting out you know the next game in the line of Tigris and Euphrates and Through the Desert and now Cascadero you know after a bunch more great ones and and uh, yeah so just don't don't be afraid to pursue those things because. Otherwise, you might just end up being a full-time dentist, which which is which is good. I mean, it's fun doing dentistry, um, <laughs> but you might be missing out on like some really cool opportunities if you just don't give them a shot. Oh, that's great. I uh, yeah, no the the bit with all plays is really neat too. I remember I was doing a checkout for one of their most recent bundles. I don't know what it was, and it's like, hey, check out these other other products from Bitewing Games, <laughs> like. Well, didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> like, that's very neat. So, yeah, I'm glad that that like uh, that relationship has gone smoothly and is just kind of like helping and just letting you do more. That's that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid to work with people. I mean, like, Zuvatis wouldn't be what it is without Rainer Knizia being the developer. I I just pitched some ideas to him. Same with Quanchai Mori and Bridget and Delicado, the the artist and graphic designer. Like, um, you know, I I just sought out people who I thought would be really, really good at the project. And um, l lucky enough, they, they wanted to work on it with us. And then they're the, they're the huge talents here and they're the ones who, who made it what it is. And, and, and uh, it's the same for any game that does well, it's a team effort. And um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see, you know, what can happen when you, when you work with people and, and uh, you know, just try to be good to them, treat them well. And, and then uh, <laughs> they want to work with you more and that's always a good thing. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. 100%. That's some, that's some great water pick advice because like you <laughs> mentioned, I mean, if, you know, there's, I mean, if you don't ask, like you're going to definitely have no is the answer. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you don't get a response or you get that flat out rejection, well, no is the answer too, but, you know, if you get if you get those yeses, yeah. those are things to work with. Those are things to build on and and like add add pieces to the puzzle, add different team members and and get like great products. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you you spent five or 10 minutes on an email or maybe even 30 minutes if it's if it's really one that you're <laughs> you're stressing over and uh, nothing comes of it. Right. Um, but the best thing that can happen is is uh, I don't know you anything really. <laughs> uh 
your wild things beyond your wildest dreams, right? Like I have a game with marmosets wearing these <laughs> dapper hats now and and bow ties, and that's that's just like the coolest thing ever. You know, I, I never would have thought thought that would be the case. Uh, even just a couple of years ago, anything like that was possible. So that's that's hilarious. I I told you that I hadn't uh, gotten to play that yet because again, most most of my games are smaller, like one or two, but. I unboxed it, super impressed. Like I, I told you, no, no punch, and everything was ready. I'm like, oh, all right, I can, I can play. <laughs> I just gotta. I've read the rules before, so I'm, I'll reread them. And the thing that I took the picture of is I set up all the little marmosets and I did like a little landscape <laughs> picture and I sent it to some friends. <laughs> yes, get it was, pumped. It was perfect. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's one of my favorite games. Honestly, I, I love negotiation and it's always fun to get people like who are who are so nice and then suddenly you sit them down for a negotiation game and they're just like whipping out the knives and sharpening <laughs> them. And you're like, oh my goodness, never seen the side of you. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely have to let you know how that goes, but. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. In that hypothetical future, one week from two, one week, two days, one week. That's that's when that date is. Let's hope. All right, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you've given me like a ton of of great answers and thoughts, and honestly, some of these some of these steps and some of these questions, like we could go on forever. So I, hmm. I'm going to pick one of two before I get to like wrap up stuff. And I, I like them both. So I'm like struggling, <laughs> <laughs> but let's do, let's do this one. All right. So we've gotten uh like our cleaning x-rays checked out. All right. We're good. No, nothing super crazy. And now the dentist comes in doing the exam, exam stuff, doing some probing, right? <laughs> So this yeah. is this is my my probe, and I'm not trying to not trying to rehash any any pain of the millions of threads that you that you've read. I thought the <laughs> the post that you made well, when you like announced Zuvatus was pretty entertaining. It was addressing all your fears. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So there there were a lot of uh you know comments about you know anthropomorphic animals <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's a, it's it, a uh, passionate topic for a lot of people in both directions <laughs> I, I guess so I, I mean i don't feel like particularly passionate about it but i think <laughs> like a couple of like the recent examples that that come to my mind that i'm like it works well obviously like zuvatis like it makes sense to me and it's not and it wasn't you know obviously reading and and knowing all the changes it wasn't like it was just like a like it was a reskin or anything, it was a redevelopment. There's a lot of things that went from Quovatis to Zuvatis. And another one that caught some flack was uh oh shoot. Um why can I think of it? I can't even see it because my up uh, shelf is too far away. It's the mm -hmm. the pirate one. Oh, um the Stonemaier Games, yeah, uh, Libert Libertalia yeah. wins Libertalia, the Gilchrist. Wins the, well, yeah. Well, yeah, and and that was like the mm -hmm. same same deal where, you know, yeah, there were some like pretty significant changes, <laughs> and both of them, I, I don't know, I I love, I love the art and and the the anthropomorphic animals don't, don't make me angry. Let's put it that way. All right. <laughs> so, I want you to pick. Uh, on the other hand, though, what's one game? that you you can pick either would become quite worse 
if it got an anthropomorphic reworking, or at the very least, becomes an extremely wildly different game with that type of reworking. <laughs> a game, okay, that gets anthropomorphized. Huh? <laughs> I don't know if that's that's the correct term. I like it if it's not. It is now. Significantly worse, huh? Or or weirder. It doesn't have to get worse. Like if if you feel like that's too harsh, you don't want to call anything out for being worse. Because... Yeah. Well, it's it's a uh, theor all theoretical, right? Yeah. yeah um, indeed. Indeed. So. Oh man. I'm trying to think. I'm most familiar with uh, I've been playing a lot of games lately, but <laughs> I'm thinking a lot about Kinesi games for obvious reasons. Um, I would say. That is a tough one. Actually, here, here's yeah. I I feel like, you know, there's there's two ways to look at um, anthropomorphizing a game, right? <laughs> one is just like okay, exact same theme, like almost a libertalia approach, um, where it's like exact same theme, but instead of human pirates, it's animal pirates. <laughs> yep. You know, and then there's more our approach of like, um, yeah, they're still the same uh, political roman undertones but instead of being you know animals in ancient rome willing and dealing with each other you're actually in a zoo and uh we kind of like changed the underlying theme there where it's like okay you're in zoo exhibits and uh naturally there's going to be animals there who have uh gained intelligence and uh so it's like <laughs> a, a, a slight difference between those two two ways of anthropomorphizing something right mm -hmm. i think the a bad example would be one where you change the theme away from um what inspired the game to begin with one example that comes to mind and um Maybe this is like revealing some of my secrets here, but um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Rainer Kunitsia's Orango. This is a game that came out in, I think, about 2014, um, and it mixes auctions with tile placement, and he's like the king of both genres. And so this this game, when I finally tried it, just blew my mind. Like, he he brought he brought together his two biggest strengths into one game, <laughs> and uh, a really cool game. Um but, you know, I played it and I, I was just enjoying the gameplay. But when I actually dug into like, oh, should we republish this? You know, and, and I eventually found out that uh, the rights are not currently available, which is hopefully a good sign that a new version is going to come out. But um, when I thought about like, how would I bring this back? And the first thing I thought was like, OK, should it be rethemed? You know, but when I dug into it, I realized, oh, this game is actually very thematic and people probably don't realize it on the surface. But um Easter Island, if you look at the history there, there was, you know, a, a local indigenous people who lived there and um, they eventually kind of like drove themselves to extinction. And it's because they used up all of their limited resources on the island and, you know, your resources go away and then suddenly you can't sustain life there. Right. And um, that's like how the game works. It's crazy. Like you, you have all these resources that you discover on the island and you use them to to build all these statues and, and you're so focused on erecting all these statues. But in the meantime, your resources and the economy shrinks. It's a closed economy that gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, it's like the game constricts around you over time. And um, and you're even erecting the statues along the border of the island. And that's like functionally a gameplay thing. And that's that's, you know, most of the statues were built along the border of the island in real life. 
And I realized like this game couldn't be any other theme. Right. And it's like, this is Orango is, you know, this theme and this theme is Orango. And, um, I think it would be any, any kind of game like that. Right. This is just one example. If you totally change that to be like, Oh, we're, we are animals on a random Island and, uh, you know, just <laughs> bidding to, to put up statues of ourselves or something like then suddenly like, yeah, you've, you've kind of, thrown away the whole spirit of the game right i mean it'd still play the same but it just wouldn't oh sorry it wouldn't feel right and um yeah and that's when i realized like oh this this can't be any other theme that this has to be the easter island theme and it's very cool um so any anything like that i think would would be significantly worse if if somebody were to try to anthropomorphize something like that um that's that's my take. Or or here's the second one. John Company second edition. That game should not be anthropomorphic animals. <laughs> it's based in history and like everything is inspired by the history and and uh you know anything there there are plenty of examples, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I I thought honestly, yeah, I thought about like cuz it's right over there. I was like, yeah, like John Company was one of them that I thought about. Then I thought, you know, my natural just quick quick answer was like anything that would be historical. It's just going to inherently be pretty disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, like what? No, I like, yeah. I like that Arango one, and I, I'm sure that I've seen you mention it, and at the very least, I've you know familiar with it. But I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more because that does sound really fun, and I, I definitely haven't played that one. So, yeah, I mean, if you're patient, my prediction, I've been placing bets like. In within two years, there will be a new playable edition of that from somebody, unless unless they bungle it. I don't know. <laughs> you see these rumors of like, oh, Tigers and Euphrates is coming out this year, and yeah, sure enough, Reiner signed it with a, a random new publisher who like, for whatever reason, couldn't get the <laughs> couldn't get their act together to put out like one of the most desired out of print games possible. And, uh, you know, they had like two years to do it. And and then Reiner gets the rights back and he starts over with a new publisher. It's like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, yeah. uh, I hey, don't know. Well, it wasn't it wasn't you who bungled it. So that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for that. I mean, I can understand, you know, sometimes when you're working with artists and artwork in, in and of itself is is something you can't count on. Like, hey, by Friday, I want the best box cover you've ever made. It's like, that's not how art works. Right. <laughs> and so. Things need time sometimes in the oven to cook, but at some point, you know, enough is enough and you got to get, get that game out the door. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, I, I thought, yeah, that answer is great. I liked it and made me think about that game a little bit more too. We are into the, the general kind of like wrap up stuff. And for this, this is like the goodie bag. This is when you give the, the kids their, their goodie bag at the end of end of their trip all right <laughs> so i haven't been a kid for a while and nor do i have uh kids either so do you feel like you give out like a good kid uh goodie bag in 2023 oh then just in dentistry you mean yeah 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 oh definitely yeah i mean we don't see too many kids they're kind of hard to see honestly they're like huh. sometimes just really a pain because they're <laughs> they like wiggle around and they don't do what you ask them to or like they start closing their mouth as you're like, you've been in there for like two seconds and their mouth is already slowly closing, closing, closing. And you're like, I can't get anything done. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we refer a lot out to uh pediatric dentist, but um, oh, yeah, okay. we do have a treasure box for kids nice. 
um, that we do see and uh, they can pick out a prize. So yeah, that's, that's the best part of going to the dentist, right? When you're a kid. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's where we're at in the interview. The, yeah. the best, the oh, yeah. best part. Well, not the best part, <laughs> just like the wrap up. Um, yeah. I kind of have like a general final question. Well, two, two parts. Now I have two final questions, but one of them is like a text um, or, or anything really. So this could be like a game uh, board game, video game, book, movie, show, um, artist that has really been on your mind lately that's kind of like stuck out to you? Ooh, any kind of media that stuck out to me recently. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Um, I am a I am a very big fan of Brandon Sanderson. Are you familiar with the author? Familiar? Honestly, have not read which is weird but yeah yeah you can keep going i won't interrupt <laughs> yeah no no no. yeah he's he's uh one of the biggest uh active fantasy authors um working and and he's a lot he he i don't know maybe maybe this is just my mind connecting the dots of like oh all my favorite things have so much in common but <laughs> he, he kind of reminds me of Renner kanitsi in the sense that like he's always pumping out new stuff you yep. know it's putting out like multiple books a year it's like how do you have time for all this uh just like reiner is just pumping out multiple games in a week it seems but um <clears throat> yeah he he's put out he had a, the biggest kickstarter of all time recently right um that just went like viral uh where he was like hey covid happened i had way more time on my hands and i secretly wrote like what was it, four or five books and people just went bonkers you know his fan base is like are you kidding me <laughs> And uh, I backed the Kickstarter and and uh, just finished up, I think, the last of those books. And uh, one of them that stands out to me, I don't know why this comes to mind, but uh, Tress and the Emerald Sea, I think is what the book is called. I've been listening to them all on audiobook, actually. But um, this is a really cool book where he Brandon Sanderson is very good at world building. And... Um, he he builds out these magic systems and on these different planets and with all these you like very interesting fascinating things going on with the culture and the uh, and the biology and the magic system and all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, trust in the Emerald Sea. It's like what if instead of water, there were like there was just pollen as the oceans or like they were like imagine grains of sand um, being your oceans and then. Um, when there's, I don't know what it is like currents or pressure coming up through, through the, uh, when you pressurize a bucket of sand, it becomes like liquidized. Um, there's a really cool video about this online actually with like Mark Rober, uh, that physicist who's a famous YouTuber and Brandon Sanderson talking about it actually. Um, but it's like you, you drop a, a, I don't know, a bowling ball onto a bed of sand and it just instantly hits the sand and stops. Right. But then when it becomes liquidized and that pressure is applied to the sand, then it sinks as if it's a liquid. And, um, it's the, yeah, he has this really cool world where like the oceans are this, this, these different types of pollen. And when these pollen come in contact with water, then they, they just like, there's these little tiny packets of energy that just explode with life. And some of them explode into plants and others like literally explode when they come in contact with water. So it's kind of a dangerous world as well, but these pirates are sailing across these pollen oceans. And then at times the pressure just stops and they can't move at all. And there's like really cool scenarios that happen with that. Um, so I don't, I don't even remember uh, you, you were just telling me what, what kind of media had an, an effect on me. Yeah. Um, 
yeah i mean that's that's one of many examples where that's stuck in my mind of like man that is such a cool world and like i'd love to see i mean you you feel like you're living in it when you're listening to the book or reading the book but um it'd be cool to see a movie or, or a show done based on this concept and it's cool to see that there are still people like brandon um and creators in any medium that that have these really unique ideas um and that they they really explore them and play with those concepts and and flesh them out so and those are the kind of things that stick with me so yeah, that seems super interesting. I I've definitely talked to a bunch of people that like Brandon Sanderson, obviously, you know, like you said, one of the most prolific fantasy writers, if not the current most prolific fantasy writer or well-known. Talked to like a lot of uh, you know, students or athletes or people that I work with and have have some of these conversations too and they're they're like definitely captured by the writing. And I know one of the ones that I've seen pop up a bit uh, is I don't know the original author of the series, but there's that huge Wheel of Time series that mm. he finished because the yeah. uh, the original author like passed, and then he kind of like picked it up and and finished it. So I've talked mm -hmm. to like a handful of students who have been reading that too. I'm like, how oh, it's nice. like 15 books or something. I'm like, they're all huge. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't I haven't uh, dove into those actually. <laughs> yeah, good on good on them. So I've, I've like asked this question. I've got a lot of great book re recommendations. I'm slow. I love reading. It's one of my favorite things to do. I'm just such a slow yeah. reader. And especially yeah. during like the year when I see so many words throughout the course of the day, <laughs> then I see the words when I'm at home. It's just, yeah, it's I can't, don't have the, don't have the patience for it. No, I mean, for me, I don't have time to read. I just don't have time to sit down and read a book. So when I'm driving a long distance or traveling, that's when I whip out a new audiobook and, and really get invested. It makes the trips go by really fast, actually. So yeah, definitely. I've listened to a few. I definitely need to do it more. I've, I mean, I just listen to people talk um, in podcasts. That's all I do <laughs> over and over. Yeah. But a lot of I good like podcast stuff, well. too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so this is now like the actual final question. You just you mentioned that you just wrapped up uh, the crowdfunding for Cascadero, Cascadito, and and the spectral one wasn't even that long ago either. Yeah. Uh, any yeah. any anything that you want to mention on behalf of uh, Bitewing Games to you know like look out for, have people think about um, soon. I mean, obviously yeah. that just happened, but <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mentioned this earlier, but like I, I pursue projects that um, I feel are like really hit the sweet spot for my taste. So if you read a little bit of my blog or like games that I'm recommending, and if you see anything in common, then there's probably some commonality there. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think for, especially as time goes on um, the, the projects that we're taking on are ones that are like, Oh, this is an amazing game in this genre. And, and personally, I feel it's one of, it's one of my favorites. I feel it's one of the best games in the genre. So like when we put out Spectral, I, I never thought we'd publish a logic deduction game, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's just like, it's a very, um, it's typically not a very interactive genre. And um, it's also one that's very homework-like. And I still really love, uh, you know, Search for Planet X and, and Cryptid, some of the more popular ones. Like I own those games. I really like them a lot. But I never thought we'd publish one. And uh, but then Ryan brought Spectral to me, and I was like, "All right, let's try it out." And uh, it blew me away how interactive it was, and how dramatic and thematic it was. And then I suddenly felt like this urge to publish it. It was like I can't let anybody else publish this. I gotta put this out. This is so cool. Um, and and that's that's kind of how it is for a lot of our projects. We're we're kind of 
And maybe that's for better or worse. There are some companies out there who are very good at branding and they stick to their brand. They're very disciplined. Um, one that comes to mind is, is our friends over at Facade Games who have the Dark Cities line. And they put out a book, um, a game that comes in a in a faux book box and it plays one to nine players. And it uh, it is it is themed around a you know dark time in, in history. And it's a social deduction slash slash light strategy game slash party game, right? And their brand has led them to to raise like a million dollars each Kickstarter. <laughs> if we were more disciplined and more focused and like, okay, the box always has to be this size and, you know, the branding has to be this strong and this consistent, then maybe we'd be making more money. But for us, we're kind of just like ping-ponging to, from one genre to the next of like, oh, this feels like one of the best games that I've ever played in this genre and we have to publish it, you know? And uh, so we're kind of all over the place with our games. If you don't like one of our games, that doesn't mean you're not going to like another one of our games, even though there's a lot of Kenitsi games. I get that. <laughs> um, but he he does span a lot of, of different feeling games as well. But for us, I mean, we're we have um, we just put out a negotiation game and we're about to put out a deduction game. We're about to put out a tile layer and a roll and write. And then next year, we're planning to start a two player line of games and we're planning to put out probably this might be the only time we do this but uh in the first quarter we're going to launch a euro game like a medium weight euro game <laughs> yeah very uh classic you know it's interactive like old school ones but it has a lot of modern rondell type stuff too um and and another card game and we're gonna eventually put out an area control game and a uh, racing game and like we're all over the place okay <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know i just love working with you know, my favorite designers and my favorite artists. And you're going to see that, you know, both with what we've put out already, but what we're putting out over the next few years. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much, but um, yeah, we're, we're traversing quite a bit of ground over the next uh, couple of years with what we release. And so if, if anything is up your alley, I encourage you to check it out because I feel like, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that um, I think, timing and um being in the right place at the right time and then like i said just trying things cold cold emailing people sometimes puts you in the right spot to to have an amazing opportunity to work on a, an incredible project that i didn't really create but i'm lucky enough to to help collaborate on um so yeah that's i don't know i'm excited about the future we, we've got all kinds of themes and games coming out I like that. I'm I'm all here for things being all over the place and just like going mm-hmm. going where your heart heart and and whatever passion takes you and just trying it out. I'm I think that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for like your time, insight, stories. I I, I had a really good time doing this. Yeah, I appreciate you you having me on, and uh, yeah, I hope the podcast keeps growing. I know that's it's a grind to keep at it and be disciplined. You know, every every two weeks or so, uh, putting out the next thing, planning it, editing it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to start following your podcast and and checking out the previous episodes and see where it leads. So, best of luck to you there. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, like another thing you also let me know, but nonetheless, this is going to be like a really awesome entry and one that I'm looking forward to getting to listen during that editing and and all that process too so awesome all right well happy holidays to you ryan thanks for having me yeah happy holidays and thank you again thank you so much for listening to intertextual cardboard experience feel free to reach out via email which is vod the pod at gmail.com 
or check out my Instagram with the same name. There's not much on there right now, but I'm looking forward to working on the Instagram and other forms of social media and a website a little bit more in the future. Until then, keep playing, watching, reading, listening, uh, experiencing. Thank you.